Now, we've been uh, studying the epistle of Jude, and that has come up from, um, stemmed down, shall we say, from our study of Ephesians, Paul's admonition to to the Christians, the believers, in his age and in this age and through all the ages to come. In chapter 6 of Ephesians, where Paul says to us from verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Now, uh, we've been studying that all of this year, and we're still going to, because it is quite uh, diverse. And in particular, what we're studying is the wiles of the devil, and we've covered a lot of areas. And now we—it's uh, still part of as part of the study of the wiles of the devil—is why we have been studying the epistle of Jude, because Jude warns uh, about the apostates and false teachers that have come into the church. They are part of the church. Well, they're in the church. They're not a part of the body of Christ, that's for sure, even though they masquerade as such. But they are in the church. And so we're warned to uh, pay attention to these things. And in fact, uh, Jude saw such an urgency in this matter because he said you know, in, in his epistle, in starting verse 3, he says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Contend for the faith. That is uh, Jude's exhortation. Now, there are not too many people, unfortunately, not too many people, not too many believers in this age who are actually contending for the faith. And for those of us who are contending for the faith, as <laughs> as exhorted by Scripture, and Jude is not the only one who said it. Peter said it. Paul said it. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself said it. James said it. They all said we are to stand firm. We are to fight for the truth. We are to uphold the truth at all costs, even at the cost of our very lives. Now, those of us who do such nowadays, you know, the very first thing people tell you is, oh, who may you set you up as a judge over me? Oh, you don't know everything, you know. Oh, everything is not... We don't know everything yet. Well, we know as much as we need to know from Scripture. That's the thing. I'm not going to follow anybody's imagination when I've got the written word. And people will come and assert all kinds of beliefs and all kinds of ideas and tell you, and the Lord said to me, and the Lord said to me. And I always say this, if you tell me the Lord said to you, and what you're telling me the Lord said to you contradicts the written word, then you can, you know, you can keep your Lord said thing to yourself. I don't want to know about it. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to learn about it. I'm not interested. If it is not, if it is not in line, whatever the Lord is saying to any one of us, his servants, or any believer whatsoever, must align with Scripture. If it does not agree with Scripture, then there is a problem. There is a problem. And these are the wiles of the devil that people do not seem to understand. People are busy following their imagination and other people's imaginations. Look, I can have all kinds of dreams. They're not necessary. It doesn't necessarily mean that the, the, the dream means something in, in relation to God. Satan toys with the minds. Dreams come from the mind. Satan toys with people's imagination. And in a lot of cases, he can raise idle notions in, in anybody's mind. See, we are not immune to temptation just because we are believers. 
No, the temptation is always there. Always there. But we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. When the Holy Spirit in you, when you are submitted to the leadership and guidance of the Holy Spirit, you will always be able to know right from wrong because the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. You will always be able to tell when something, however nice it may sound or look, is not from God but from the devil. It may look good, it may sound good from the, begin, from the, you know, from the beginning, but the end of it is always disaster. That's why Proverbs, in, the, in, the, uh, in Proverbs, there's a verse there which says, there is a way that seems good to a man, but in the end it leads to death. So we have this problem, and this is what Jude is saying, because these people, false teachers, are in the church, and they purport to serve Christ, they do everything in his name, they set up great big mega churches in his name, They do, and they tell you lovely things that you love to hear, things that sound really good. And you sit down there, they throw you into pity parties, they tell you all these things. Now, the problems they address are problems that everybody, believer or non-believer alike, has in the world. But they carry on on the pulpit and tell you, oh, yes, they're here to deliver you because the enemy has been robbing you of this and robbing you of that. And they want to take back your territory. And they tell you all those fanciful things and phrases. And you sit there feeling sorry for yourself and you think, oh, yes. And they tell you they've got a prophetic word for you. God has said you're coming out of poverty. What kind of foolish prophetic word is that? What's spiritual about that? I've got a prophetic word for you. God says he's going to do something new in your life. Shut up. God does amazing things in everybody's lives daily. There's nothing new about that. You want to tell me you got a prophecy? Tell me specifically what's going to happen in the next two hours. Specifically. And so I can compare verbatim what you said to what's happened. But that's the thing, you see. This is not what Christianity is about. Making personal predictions about people. Call them prophecy. How many times do we read the apostles doing that? Prophecy is not so much making predictions. There were men in the past that God used in that way. His chosen few. It was not the norm for every worshipper. But amongst the worshippers, God will send forth word through his prophets. And those words were confirmed because they did happen. In the same way with the New Testament, everything these people said. Now Jude wrote this epistle. That was a prophecy. He was speaking forth from God, led by the Holy Spirit, to tell us what's going to happen. But we see it around us, do we not? We see these people in our midst now. That has manifest. When when uh, Paul wrote uh, to to Timothy in Second Timothy chapter three, talking about in the end times such and such will happen, these sort of things will go on. We see them around us, do we not? They didn't speak out of their imaginations. And they did not go seeking people, running consultation sessions where people went to them to find out what was going to happen at the, at the next job interview they go to and what's going to happen to them and their money in the next year or two. All that is not biblical and it is not Christian. I'm sorry, but Christianity is not a place where we come for consultations to receive personal oracles. That's the problem that I find with um with Christianity, with Africans, and I guess Asians as well, where people cannot separate their past superstitious lifestyle from the life of the of of Christianity, which is living in in the spirit of God. People can't separate it. They've got to bring it together to a common ground. So whereby people used to consult in the past with the oracles and the diviners in the past. You know, uh, as tradition and culture demanded or led in those days, 
And a lot of people still do that, even though they're hiding under the guise of Christianity. You'll be amazed how many people still consult with medicine men. You'll be shocked. I get that. I see them all the time. I, I discover these things every time, and it's amazing. Only recently, uh, uh, an 88, which is near enough 90 now, year old man who I knew for 20-something years to be a Christian preacher and all that is there now wallowing all kinds of sickness and disease and it's not dying yet there's some people i believe are preserved with long life just so they can get the full measure of their foolishness in this world before eventually ending up in hell but anyway this man used to lie all over pulpits in the past for 20 something years i've known him preaching and only recently only a matter of months ago i found that he's very well in with mediums and tarot card readers and all the sorcerers as well he's very very much in with them consults them sends them money just Amazing, isn't it? So you see, these things are happening. Many people are, de- are still deceived. People cannot. When you come to Christ, he sanctifies you. You are supposed to separate yourself from everything evil. And these things are evil. But so, we have that problem with superstitious beliefs. And then, we. Th- this is the thing, because these apostates and false teachers, they still operate under that guise. They know what people like to know. People want to know what's going to happen tomorrow. They want to know about next year already. They want to know where they're going to be in five years already. So, where is walking by faith? Where does that come into play in all this? Because if you belong to Christ then you know that tomorrow is in his hands. You know that your future is in his hands. You know that he ordains your step through each day and everything that's going to come your way or that's going to happen to you, the Lord knows about it and he is watching over you and you receive every situation and circumstance, good or bad, painful or or pleasant, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're hungry or fed, you take each day with thanksgiving and continue in your walk with God. Because Christianity does not translate to comfort in this world. Material comfort, like many people uh, uh, like to think uh, or believe that it's part of their entitlement because they're Christians. Christianity does not translate to perfect health situation in this world. No, this is a fallen world. It is fallen, it will always be fallen until God renews all things. So we are going to go through problems and hassles in this world. We are going to. The only trouble, the only difference between believers and non-believers in this wise is that we know that whatever it is we're going through in this world ends here. And it's only a temporary affliction. Why? Because we know we have going, we have eternal life. We're going to live with Christ eternally. We are not going to die. And as such, we are going to go into eternity without all the problems we have here. And so we consider our days in this world of no serious consequence. It does not really matter. Even if I live to be 120 and I never buy a plot of land or never own a car, so what? I never own gold and diamonds, so what? It makes no difference. Because I'm only here for a little while. It doesn't really matter whether I'm sick or not. Because whether I enjoy good health or bad health, at some point I'm going to have to depart this world anyway. Or Jesus will return. One of the two is a certainty for every one of us. Now, in as much as that is the case, then why do I want to trouble myself about what my present situation and circumstances when I know that the Lord has in store for me greater and bigger promises for eternity? He is going to once again restore the perfect order of things which he created in the first place. But 
Now, whereas that is the teaching of Scripture, and that is what Scripture tells us, that we are not to be anxious about anything, we, we are not we are to keep our, uh, ourselves away, our lives away from the love of money, we should uh, live in godliness with contentment. The teaching of false teachers and apostates absolutely contradict that, contradict biblical counsel. Because false teachers will tell you, that it is your entitlement to have more, you're supposed to be rich. They tell you they'd whet your appetite for all things worldly. They arouse you in your carnality. Now, this is a, 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 a carnal spirits are still in each of us. Now, as Christians, as believers, when we come to Christ, we are then sealed with the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ blesses us with His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. He comes to live in us, and He is with us, and He directs us, and He guides us. Now, but on our part, now it's not an automatic thing whereby, oh, the Holy Spirit is in me, so that's fine. You know, I don't have to do anything. You have a lot to do. You have got to submit. You've got to consciously submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. How do you do this? You begin to deny yourself because you know what? Everything the Holy Spirit is going to lead you to do is going to be totally contrary to what you personally would like to do. Oh, yes, there's a big difference between the life of the Spirit and the life of of the sinful nature as we see in Romans chapter 8 from verse 5 there it says those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires the mind of sinful man is death but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace the sinful mind is hostile to God it does not submit to God's law nor can it do so those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. That was Romans 8, 5 to 8. So you see, the desires, the desires we all had before we came to Christ are a totally different story. In comparison to what we're supposed to desire as children of God. So within each of us, that nature does not leave us. It's there. Well, that nature will not leave us until we see Christ face to face when we are made perfect. So we are all going to live our lives as Christians contending with the carnal spirit in us to suppress it whilst we are in submission to the Holy Spirit. That is why I said it's not a question of the Holy Spirit is in you and so, you know, that's it. You know, you just walk off. He takes charge. He will take charge only if you let him take charge. That's why the Bible warns about quenching the spirit. It can't be in you. You can want to do something and the Holy Spirit of God will tell you that is a sin. You cannot do that. But you like the thing. It sounds good. It looks good. So you go ahead and do it anyway. You fall for the temptation. That is you telling the Holy Spirit, it's okay, I'll handle this one my way. And he will leave you. He wouldn't force you. The Holy Spirit will never ever compel you to do a thing. No. Because you have the choice. God has given us the ability to choose. Because if he didn't, then we'll complain about God being so firm and so strict that he's forcing us to do things. As it is, I mean, unbelievers say that anyway. They don't see why they ought to submit to a God who's going to tell them how to live. The fools, as if they're living, they don't even realize they're dead. So, the Holy Spirit of God is there to tell us what to do. But we need to submit to his leadership and his guidance. And when he leads us in that way, we will not be confused about anything. We walk with God by faith. We have absolute and utter trust in Christ. That it wouldn't matter to me what I'm going through at this point in time, no matter how the, how tough the hardship or the difficulty, I just know that there is a perfectly good reason why God is letting me go through it. He does not forget his children. 
He knows exactly who you are and where you are. But you want to look for a quick fix. And this is a problem we have because the devil knows exactly what the carnal nature desires. That's why he was able to successfully tempt Adam and Eve. And as such, he brought death into the world to all of humanity. And we're only saved from that death by having life in Christ. That's what Satan did. He knows. He knows exactly what the sinful desires are. And having failed in, because he did, I mean, and, and, and all of humanity follows him. But then, we thank God for, for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank God for his infinite mercy and grace over us all. Because he then looked at us in love and in compassion. And he sent his son, our Lord, our sovereign Lord and Redeemer, Jesus Christ, to come into the world and show us the way of truth. So that all who turn to Christ are now saved. Now, Satan didn't like that because now not everybody is doomed as he had hoped the situation would continue. So now some of us are saved. And then what can he do? He has brought his battle, not have, uh, having failed in, in bringing down the, or, or, or thwarting the plans of salvation through Christ from the outside. He did his very best. He did his very best for, you know, to, 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 destroy the Lord. Even as a baby, we all know that. When Jesus was born as a baby and Herod decided all the Israelite boys were to be uh, baby boys were to be murdered in cold blood, they were murdered. He did everything he could all the way. He tormented and harassed the Lord just in his determination to thwart the plans of salvation all the way to the cross. All the way. It was him who worked in the minds of the Pharisees and the Jewish authorities who rejected the Messiah and did everything they could until they delivered him up for death on the cross. And Satan thought he had the victory. He rejoiced greatly. When Jesus was buried, he must have thrown a party. Him and all his uh, demonic angels roaming the world that this is it. This is now our territory. Mankind is doomed. We've got them now under our control. We've taken their, their leader out of the way. We've taken their God out of the way. We've taken. And he was, I'm sure he was ready to set himself up totally and absolutely as God. Until, all oh, glory to God, Jesus rose on the third day. Yes, that must have knocked Satan for six. Jesus rose on the third day from the dead and lives to this day eternally. And that was it. That absolutely thwarted Satan's authority over mankind. But then, that's authority over mankind, over those who belong to Christ. He cannot touch us. He can torment us. He can harass us. He will distress us. He will disturb us. But he can never, ever have us back. That is not possible. That is simply not possible. Scripture makes that clear. He can do anything he wants with us. He can fight. He can do you know what though? Even talk about doing anything he wants with us. All that even within limit. He doesn't just have a free hand to do as he pleases with the children of God. He can't. He needs God's consent. If you've ever read the story of Job, you'll see that there Satan had to have God's consent before he could do anything with Job. And God, yeah, God permitted him to, knowing full well that he was strength enough for Job to survive it. And he did. Satan had to seek permission from our Lord Jesus Christ to try Peter. Jesus gave him permission to. 
knowing full well that his grace would be sufficient for Peter to see him through. In the same way, Satan went tormenting Paul. He must have had God's consent because when Paul then prayed to, to God saying, you know, I've got this thought, Satan, this messenger of Satan tormenting me. I've got this thorn in my flesh. Would you take it away, please, Father? And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. That's because God knew he had enough strength for Paul to survive it. In the same way, we all have well, those of us that belong to Christ, we have enough strength from Christ to survive whatever Satan throws our way. So cut out all the anxiety that makes you run helter-skelter all over the place, whereby people are falling victim of false teachers and false prophets. Our life, our salvation is secure. So just take any circumstance you go through in the world as a pinch of salt. Your future... you. And your eternity is secure in the hands of Christ. Look, Jesus said this. He gave us this reassurance in John chapter 10, verse 27 to verses 27 to 30. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now that alone, in and of itself, assures me of my salvation. I know that never again will I ever be a slave to sin and to Satan. I have been given that freedom. I belong to God. I am safe in the Father's hands. So I can never understand Christians who live in perpetual fear of losing their salvation. And some people teach that. And they say they're servants of God. I find this alarming. And this is the thing. These are the words of the devil. One of the words of, of the devil is to make sure you are insecure in your faith. That you have a shaky faith. One that doubts. And we know what the Bible says about doubters, don't we? In chapter 1 of James. James says that he who doubts should never think he's going to get anything out of God. Such a person is, is, is an unstable person, is unstable in all he does, is, is tossed about by the winds of all kinds of teaching, and he'll never get anything out of God. And this is exactly where Satan wants you as a believer. He doesn't want you trusting in God. Look, if you believe you can lose your salvation, that means you have no trust in the complete, unfinished, perfect work and sacrifice of Christ Jesus. So now you have to make the effort to keep your salvation safe and, uh, and to secure it. You can't. Because in the first place, we were saved by grace. None of our good works was good enough. And will ever be good enough. But then we have people who are teaching this. Wiles of the devil. So you're working in instability and you're living in constant fear. But that is not part of the life of Christ. That is not the Lord's plan for our lives, that we should be afraid of things and afraid of situations and circumstances. What is there to be afraid of when you've got Christ on your side, when you are, when your life is hidden with Christ, when you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms? But these are the false teachings that we have. Jude says, be careful, these men are in your midst. They have all the titles, they have all the pomp and pageantry that people look at and think that is a successful servant of God because they're in their designer where they've got massive, you know, they've got mega churches, they, they have all sorts of businesses, they're very prosperous in every way materially, but they're spiritually bankrupt. They are spiritually bankrupt. They are intellectually superior, I'll even say. 
because they come to you with fancy words and all sorts of lovely words and flamboyant phrases and all those things. They're very eloquent in their lies. They're very eloquent. They speak smoothly. They speak, they speak in ways that charm you and, you know, ways that mesmerize you. But they're spiritually dead. They do not have the spirit. So say, they, they, they rebel against authority. That's what we studied last time. That they have perished in the rebellion of Korah. And as I said, Korah rebelled against the authority of God's own chosen leaders. These people are never under anyone. They, they under themselves. They set themselves up as the highest authority in the establishments that they set up called church. And they stand there and they tell you they're your father in the Lord and they're your spiritual father and they're your spiritual mother whilst they mislead you away from Christ. Yet even our Lord said, we are not to call anyone on earth father, you are all brothers. He chose people, he chose his servants, the Lord still chooses his servants, he chooses his servants to lead, to minister, not to bring people unto themselves and win disciples unto themselves, but to train people that they may be mature in Christ. All our teachings must point to Christ alone as Lord. Ministers are not superior to the congregation. We are all ransomed sinners. And that we have different responsibilities. I have the responsibility to teach and to preach does not make me superior to the one who, who t- whose responsibility is preparing the church and putting the chairs together and putting out the hymn books every Sunday when we meet. I'm not superior to that person. I'm not superior to the one who cleans the toilets, who takes it upon themselves to clean the toilets in the church and all that and sweep the floors. No, we are all the same ransom sinners, children of God. There's no hierarchy. There is no hierarchy. We just have different, different duties. But this is not the teaching of false teachers and apostates. They will tell you you must submit to your spiritual father. And that's them they're talking about. And you know what that is? Idolatry. That is purely idolatry. When you find yourself submitting to a man, we are all supposed to be submitted to Christ. When we're submitted to Christ, we fellowship in love and perfection together. Our relationship is made perfect in Christ because we are all submitted to one, the head, who is Christ Jesus. And we work together as a team. So there is a lot wrong that people are not paying attention to. Jude wrote this exhortation. A very firm and stern warning to us. And we will do well to pay a lot of attention to it because unfortunately many people are lying in the embrace of Satan and they're loving it and they're thinking that is the way of Christ. It is not the way of Christ. It is not the way of Christ. So we will continue uh, the epistle of Jude from verse 12 the next time. Until until then, uh, may the Lord richly bless you and guard and guide your hearts in Christ Jesus. Amen.